Well, yep, for sure, this episode topic is super frustrating. Super frustrating for the patient, for sure. But oh my goodness, it's so frustrating for the practitioner as well. But don't worry, at the end of this episode, we're going to go over some helpful tips to try to give the patient some relief because recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis is such a pain. RVVC, or recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis, is a super burdensome, long-lasting medical condition that really does compromise the activity of women and their quality of life. Now, it's recently been published that the prevalence of RVVC is on the upswing. Well, that's just great. And this is partially due to a rise in non-albicans species. So here's a clinical question to you that I received through our Facebook page, and it's a real clinical dilemma. Okay, so here's a question that I received that I'm passing on to you guys as our podcast family to try to come up with a solution here. Okay, so listen to this poor patient and this poor provider who are both at wit's end. So here's a question. What would you offer in a patient who's allergic to fluconazole and turconazole and has already taken three doses of brexifeme and has used boric acid and has even tried vaginal probiotics but is still having recurrent vulvovaginal yeast? Oh, and by the way, vaginal gent violet is not available to this practitioner. So in this episode, we're going to review three alternative, less well-known strategies, but that definitely can provide some assistance to these patients. So recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis has to be discussed. Now think about how complex this is, right? This patient is allergic to the azoles, or traditionally to fluconazole and turconazole, and that's why if you've got those that already are at bay, then you would think that clotrimazole, myconazole are also nixed because of that allergy. Already taken three doses of brexifeme, has used boric acid, and even done vaginal probiotics. So what is your offering and what's your treatment plan? You have any? Well, I'm going to give you again those three solutions that are published. ACOG does reference some of these, and we're going to try to find a solution in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Even though we're focusing on recalcitrant or recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis, you know that its sister infection is just as annoying, right? The recurrent BV thing, that's just what a pain that is. For the patients primarily, of course, but also for us as practitioners because it's just kind of frustrating. And I've got several episodes on recurrent BV and the that management approach, but but that's not the focus of this. I just didn't want to somehow just single out, uh, you know, candidiasis like it's the only one that does that because that's the whole issue with these two common causes of, of vaginitis is that once you get BV or have a yeast infection, 
it does potentially, just because of that change in, in the vaginal uh, flora and the microbiota, it, it can set the patient up for recurrent episodes. But let's get back specifically to RVVC. Remember, that's recurrent or in some uh, publications, recalcitrant vulvovaginal candidiasis. Even though all women are potentially at risk of having this thing over and over again, honestly, this does have its peak prevalence in, in that prime reproductive age of the 20s to the 30s, all right? Obviously, it's less common in menopause unless the patient's on hormone replacement or there's other issues going on. But in general, it's the 20s and the 30s. Recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis is inconsistently and kind of arbitrarily defined in clinical practice guidelines. So take a look at this. In the U.S., RVVC is defined as three or more episodes of symptomatic vulvovaginal candidiasis in less than one year. All right, so that's the U.S., three or more. Fine. But in the European guidelines, and according to the Infectious Disease Society of America, that's the IDSA, it's four or more symptomatic episodes per year. Now, I know what you're thinking, three or four, does that really matter? No, that's not the point. The point is we don't have one set definition. So in the U.S., in general, most people use three or more, uh, even though the IDSA says it's four or more, and that's the same as the European guidelines. While we all learn that candida albicans is the usual cause of vulvovaginal candidiasis, and that's absolutely true in 90 up to 95% of the cases, it's those more atypical, less common species that, that's the problem here, all right? Like candida glabrata, candida tropicalis, or candida cruci that are the ones that are responsible for the majority of cases of recurrent or recalcitrant vulvovaginal candidiasis. Now, there's actually in the microbiology circles and worlds, which I don't live in, but I, I, I dig their conversations. I like what they're talking about. They, they, they actually mentioned that glabrata and things like candida cruci, that they're actually not even part uh, of the candida species family, that they should be considered something totally else and renamed. But that'd be super confusing because everybody knows that it's candida albicans and then the more resistant ones are candida glabrata and candida cruci, even though there's others as well. Um, like there, there's one called paraciliosis, no joke, candida paraciliosis. I'm not spelling that. But all to say is that while candida albicans gets all the light, there are these other less frequent ones that are the responsible for these recurrent infections because they are predominantly and historically much more resistant to azole therapy, all right? And the only way that you know which candida species you have, of course, is if you had a, a specific culture or had a specific DNA probe to look for these kinds of infections. All right, everybody. Now, this is a move in the right direction because historically, yeast cultures took forever. And even though they have the benefit of running sensitivities, man, it just took forever to actually get a result with traditional yeast culture. And that's still fine. You can still do that. But of course, now things are more molecular, DNA-based. For example, the BD Max vaginal panel. All right. Now, again, no disclosures here. This is I guess it's a freebie little plug for BD Max, but I have no financial ties for this, right? But just to make the point that BD Max is one of these extended panels that unlike the VP3 where it's just, you know, Candida, 
BV or trick, the BD Max vaginal panel actually helps to to speciate the kind of candida. So it tells you if it's candida albicans, glabrata, or cruci. So that's super, super helpful, okay? And it's not just BD Max. I mean, anytime that there's this expanded panel for vaginitis, that's exactly what it's looking for. And same thing for BV. Rather than just looking for Gardnerella, there are panels that look for the other pathogens that cause bacterial vaginosis and it also gives you a, a representative uh, count or at least some kind of idea if lactobacilli is decreased for BV. All right. All to say, while traditional uh, fungal cultures are absolutely still okay to get, because the advantage with those is you can get to run sensitivities, and that's super helpful, but they take forever. Uh, or you could do this molecular expanded DNA test because they can speciate the different types of candida. Now, the downside of BD Max is that you only get those three. There's candida albicans, glabrata, and cruci, and those are good. That's super good, super helpful. That's a, that's a lot of possible uh, yeast infections that, that those uh, can account for. But there's a lot of other candida species that can cause recurrent infection. But in general, I mean, having at least these three is a good ballpark to see what's going on. All right, hold on. Sorry, guys. I think I do need to clarify this just a little bit more because the regular, like let's take for account um, the BD Affirm, the VP3 test, right? The typical, um, it, it, you get a read, does it have candida species? Does it have um, BV as Gardnerella? And then, of course, uh, trichomoniasis is, that's pretty simple. It's just trichomoniasis, either present or not. But when you do a VP3 versus like a BD max, all right, yes, it's true that the, the, the probe is actually looking for any candida species. So if it is candida glabrata, it's looking for a candida uh, albicans, it's looking for a du- um, um, cruci, and, and, and a variety of others. And that's great, but it doesn't tell you which one it is. So it's just looking for candida species in general. So is there some kind of candida out there? And if that's positive, you're going to get that positive test. So you're like, hey, great, it's candida. But it doesn't tell you if it's a non-albican species, which is the problem. Everybody get that, right? So I don't want you, I'm I'm saying this because I don't want somebody to say, I saw the package insert for BDVP3, and it says that it checks for these other non-Albican species. And it does, but it just groups them together as present or not. It doesn't tell you which one it is. And the reason that's super important, guys, here's a take-home point, because I think I'm beating it to the ground already, is that if it's Candida albicans, great. Typically, in general, azole therapy should work. So knock yourself out. That's fantastic. However, the topic is recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis or recalcitrant uh, infections. And typically those are non-albicans. And so you need to know what you're dealing with. That's why true speciation, looking to see what you actually have, uh, is is a huge benefit here. All right. And again, I'm not singling out one company for any particular reason. I have no financial ties. I just want to make the point there that it is nice that we now have these expanded panels that are able to to actually speciate, which is a huge plus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So these non-traditional, non-Albican species that cause all these problems just don't get a lot of love. They don't get a lot of love in the literature and they don't get a lot of love in the general press slash publications, all right? So let me make this point here. Let's look at this. In ACOG's Practice Bulletin 215 from 2020, that's that's the, the one on vaginitis, all right? There's one paragraph, one, on, quote, non-Albicans candida species, end quote, one paragraph. Woo! Now it does mention two alternative treatments here. One is boric acid, which is not one of the ones that we're going to discuss because, and it's not because I don't want to. I mean, it's I'm all for boric acid, vaginal. But in this case that we are highlighting, remember the patient had already tried that, and since we said boric acid. I have to say here for patient safety, remember, do not have the patient eat that. I mean, I write them down. When I recommend boric acid for recurrent to BV or yeast, uh, and I you know, said 600, 400 or 600 milligrams, uh, you know, for boric acid capsule, vaginal, and I put it on a big piece of paper, vaginal, do not eat because you could die. So I just wanted to put that out there that boric acid is in that single paragraph in Practice Bulletin 215 and another medication that it was kind of forgotten about. It's not new. It's been around forever. Um, and it's not gent violet because we already mentioned that in, in the case uh, intro as well. It's something else. But I'm leaving that little secret option uh, for our discussion. All right. All I'm trying to say here is that even in ACOG's Practice Bulletin 215 from 2020, it's one paragraph. It's like, yeah, it kind of sucks. Non-Albican species. Man, what are you going to do? I mean, try boric acid or try option X. And I'm going to tell you about option X here in just a minute. Before we get into these alternative yet still published, I mean, these are not hokey. I didn't make these up. This has published evidence. Come on, guys. You know me better than that. I'm not going to give you something that has no data, but it doesn't have a whopping amount of data, right? I told you, I mean, recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis, every publication that you look at, it's like, oh, man, this is a burden. This sucks. Mm, I don't know. I mean, maybe try the, and it's always the usual things, vaginal, um, uh, probiotics, that has lactobacilli, and that's legit. There is some limited evidence for that. It's the uh, boric acid or gent violet. The problem with gent violet now is that at least one manufacturer is like, uh, we're not making that anymore because nobody uses it. Meanwhile, I'm like, hey, I use it. It's great. I have a whole episode called The Purple Vagina. So, yes, it's great. Super old school. But I know our distributor for our uh, clinic is is no longer making it. It's like, oh, man, that sucks. And there's, I know that there's online uh, vendors for it, but you know, you just never know really what you're getting in the concentration of gen violet in there. But anyway, it, it is what it is. Uh, but before we get into those specific medications, I want to cover three of them. All right. And, and no, boric acid is not one, nor is gen violet. These are three unique ones. Um, and, and again, there, there is evidence for them, but we got to do something for these patients. So when somebody asks who I can do that in the vagina, yeah, there's evidence for it. It's not a lot of evidence, but what else are we going to do? I mean, we've got to get rid of this thing. So before we give you those three uh, examples, those three medical options, number one, please do either send a yeast culture, even though it takes forever, or get one of these one of these expanded panels to try to get as much information as possible. Because rather than just looking at these three alternative meds, we have to make sure, obviously, that the diagnosis is correct. So never treat on the phone, right? Oh, I, got, I think I got another one. You know, can you hit me with another Diflucan? No, you got to come in. I need to see that. I know it sucks, but I really need to see what's going on, all right? Uh, and then the second thing, if you thought, oh, I, I have I have a solution. I can't believe you haven't brought this up, Choppa, because you should probably treat the partner. No, I'm going to mention that. 
hold on. It's a great idea to treat the partner, but it doesn't work. Because it it's so logical, right? And every patient who comes in with a recurrent yeast infection, at least in my population, and I have that 20 to 30 age uh, peak reproductive age population, that's just who I, who I, uh, who I see. And they're like, oh, should my partner get, get treated? He's not circumcised or he is circumcised. I'm like, oh, that's super interesting. Thanks for that info. It's been looked at. It, it doesn't seem to make any difference at all. And that's not my opinion. I mean, that's even the CDC says, quote, no data exists to support treating sex partners of patients with complicated slash recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis. Therefore, no recommendation can be made, end quote. Guys, I've got the CDC website on my computer right now. That's exactly what it says. Now, is it going to hurt? No. Is it going to help? Probably no. <laughs> so it doesn't fit our motto of can it hurt? No, but can it help? And if the answer was yes, maybe, then I'm all for it. But both of those answers seem to be no. Oh, shoot. One more thing. So treatment of the partner, probably not legit. But what about vaginal probiotics? Because that's what our patient had tried. Um, and again, we've covered vaginal uh, probiotics in another episode, so you can listen to that one. But uh, as hokey as that may sound, y yeah, that actually can help. Now, the degree to it helps is unclear, but again, back to our basic questions, can it hurt? No. And can it help? Yeah, I mean, it, it can possibly help. This was looked at uh, in the latest uh, RCT, who was by Russo et al. That was done in 2019. And they actually found that lactobacilli mixture actually in combination with lactoferrin, all right, so it's not just lactobacilli, but in combination with lactoferrin actually dealt, did help reduce symptoms um, uh, and, and findings of recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis. So once again, that is Russo et al. published in 2019. And of course, we'll put that reference on the list. I think this is pretty funny. I, again, guys, I am going to get to those three medications, I promise. But I, I've, as I mentioned before, like there's an app for everything, right? There's a journal for everything. Because this journal that, that Russo et al. published in is Mycoses. Uh, could you imagine? I mean, just think about that talk at the water cooler at the office, right? Hey, I just read this lat the latest article in Mycoses. Man, microbiology people have to be so weird. Okay, let's get back to the data. So this poor patient that we mentioned, again, this is real, guys. Remember, this is not hypothetical. This is a question that I received and I bounced back some ideas back and forth with our what this with our podcast family member. And, and I, I told this provider, I'm like, oh, this is a great episode, man. I think we can put something together and, and help others because this is something we totally see, all right? And this poor patient was uh, fluconazole allergic. Now, I didn't get in. I don't know what that is. I didn't ask for an explanation. You know, is it a rash? Is it kind of burned? What does that mean? I don't know. But in general, just because if, if a patient states it's an allergy, right, we should kind of honor that. But remember that the CDC says that in general, for cases of RVVC, remember that's recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis, they love fluconazole, right? I mean, fluconazole is the way to go. It's like induction and then maintenance. So it's anywhere from 100 to 200 milligrams weekly for six months. And that's considered first-line maintenance uh, treatment for this condition. The problem is that's assuming that it's candida 
albicans because, as we just mentioned before, the non-albican species are traditionally fluconazole resistant. So you get a diflucan, you take one pill, and then you take another one like in three days, and you can repeat that again for a third time. That's called so basically in, in initiation uh, or induction of the of the uh, therapy, and then they go on for maintenance, which is weekly for up to six months. Okay. And it says, hey, if for whatever reason this oral regimen is not feasible, then topical treatments can be considered. But here's the catch. The CDC doesn't provide any recommendations for the type or frequency of these topical medications. So that's great. All right. Do you get that? So uh, yeah, CDC says, oh, recurrent, you know, RVVC. That's no problem. No problem at all, man. Flu- fluconazole. That fluking that. I mean, boom, 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 and then you're done. And if that doesn't work, try something topical. Okay, and then you keep reading, like, well, what do I use as topical? And there's zilch. It's like radio silence. It's like, womp, womp. So that's why we're doing this episode, because you got to actually, it takes a lot of work, because it took us, like, two days uh, of, of a lot of hours to get this together, cross-reference these, uh, these, uh, this data, these recommendations, make sure they're legit, make sure it's not going to hurt anybody, uh, see if ACOG actually uh, mentioned this, and in this case, they did, uh, and make sure that, that we're doing something that is uh, in line with a variety of experts, including Infectious Disease Society of America, uh, the Vulval Vaginal Society, ACOG. So this is this is nice because we wanted to put all of these things together and we came up with these three medications that are in the data, assuming that everything else has not worked, all right? So they've done the azoles and or can't use it, which includes fluconazole, myconazole, uh, buconazole, uh, terconazole. So that's all the azoles, okay? Uh, and boric acid and vaginal probiotics. And they're like, man, this is not working. Well, then here's where these options come in. Yes, we're going to get to the three. Hold on. Don't rush me. Don't rush me. Because this patient had also taken Brexifeme. Okay, and I'm a big fan of Brexifeme. It's, it can be a little pricey, but Brexifeme does work. Remember that uh, this was approved not long ago, and, and it does have a role for this. And this patient did use it. Brexifeme has a non-branded name that is Ibrexafungerp. Okay, so there's the Brexa in the middle, Ibrexa fungerp. So that's the non-branded, and Ibrexa, that's where you get the Brexa theme, right? Pretty cool. This was FDA approved in June of 2021, and, and it has kind of a novel way of working, okay? Because based on the on the FDA's description of this, this is called a triterpenoid antifungal. Yeah, let me say that again. It is called a, a, a triterpenoid antifungal. The cool thing about this medicine is that it actually is fungicidal compared to fluconazole that is fungistatic, all right? So diflucan doesn't actually kill it. It just makes them stop reproducing. So then the lactobacilli have a chance to take over. All right, but this medication, Brexifeme, is actually fungicidal and it is indicated for regular old vulvovaginal candidiasis or for these recurrent recalcitrant cases. All right, the other nice thing about this is that it really doesn't interact in any way with cytochrome P450 for other meds because the target for this medication is, is just that fungal cell wall. 
the recommended dosage for brexifene, which this patient did try. And again, it's okay to use in, in postmenarchal females. This is all right. Another medication we're going to talk about, you cannot use in a reproductive age at all. Like it's it's the old category X medication. Like do not do it. But brexifene you can use and it is indicated for postmenarchal females. The typical dose is 300 milligrams, which is two tablets of 150 taken 12 hours apart. So traditionally, so it's 300 milligrams like in the morning, one later on 12, in 12 hours. So for a total daily dose of 600 milligrams, okay? And you can do that monthly for six months. So you can take 600 milligrams as a one-time deal and then you're done. Or you could do that monthly for six months, right? This was tried by the patient again, but but it didn't seem to help. So I just wanted to bring that out there because we mentioned brexifeme in the intro. The dose is 300 taken once and then 312 hours later for one episodic treatment, or you continue that, you can do that monthly for up to six months. Now, there's another medication, which is the new uh, kid on the block here, which was just approved April of 2022. So it's just cleared uh, like a year and a half, right? That is Vijoa, okay? V-I-V-J-O-A. So Vijoa, right? The, the, the non-trade name, the generic name, in other words, is Otisiconazole, okay? So that's Otisiconazole. Now, if you notice that name, Otisiconazole, yes, this is an azole derivative, but it does have a, a twist. It ha- it's an azole-like medication because the way that it works is that it inhibits something in, in, the, in the fungal cell wall, all right? It, it inhibits fungal CYP51, CYP51. All to say this is toxic to fungi, and so it inhibits a fungal growth. But here's the catch. This is absolutely contraindicated in females of reproductive potential. And based on animal studies, if you look at the at the package insert, it says, yeah, like this causes fetal harm. So don't do it. And the drug exposure window is a long time. So it could be up to five times the half life of this medication, which is like 690 days. Y'all get that? 690 days. Wowzers. Okay. So this is a real issue. The manufacturer states, quote, advise patients that Vijoa is contraindicated in females of reproductive potential and in pregnant and lactating women because of the potential risk to the fetus or the breastfed infant. End quote. Okay. So again, this is really meant for menopause. Ironically, that menopause doesn't really have a lot of recurrent vulvovaginal catadiasis. Um, it's the ones that happen between 20 and 30. So great job there. I mean, no, and again, I don't mean that in a bad way because I'm thankful for any kind of new agent. Uh, but when does most recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis happen? We just said like 20s and 30s. And this is like the big X nay, do not use, turn around, uh, roadblock, whatever you want to say for this medication. So all to say, so otisconazole or uh, vijoa, not applicable to our patient because reproductive age is a no-no with this medication. Ah, finally. So that brings us to the three non-traditional options that I want to cover here in the first place, all right? Whew, so now let's do that next. The first medication that we're going to cover is vaginal nystatin therapy. Doesn't sound super sexy at all, and it's not. 
but there is evidence for it. But there, there's a catch here, and I'm going to tell you what it is in just a minute. Topical nystatin appears to be effective for chronic vulvovaginal candidiasis that is due to non-albicans and fluconazole-resistant species, and it does have evidence. Nystatin ovules, however, are not commercially available in the U.S., so they have to be compounded by specialty pharmacy. So that's the catch here. So when I was having this uh, Facebook Messenger conversation uh, with our Facebook family member, uh, you know, she said, hey, well, wait a minute. I, I thought you were anti-compounding. No, 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 not at all. There's a place for compounding. I'm against compounding hormone therapy that's not evidence-based, like weird compounded testosterone stuff. But for things like this, I mean, that you can't get anywhere else. I, I mean, how else are you going to do it? So no, no, no. And I mentioned that in that compounding um uh, episode that no, I'm not completely against compounding at all when there's data for it. And as long as it's not hormone stuff. Okay, so just has to be very clear. Uh, so the dose of this nystatin uh, compounded ovule is 100,000 units. That's 100,000 units. That sounds like a lot, but it's, it's not. Trust me, that's okay. That's inserted into the vagina one or two times a day for two weeks. So normally it's just about two weeks and then you'll stop and see what happens. But nystatin does work. It binds to sterols in the cell membrane of the, fu of the fungus, and it results in permeability changes, and basically they leak out all of their guts, all, right, all of their content. So that's how nystatin works. It basically punches little holes in their little cell wall. They leak everything out and like, oh, no, and, I'm, and then and they die. That's how they die. Okay? This is completely safe vaginally. Systemic absorption is very, very unlikely, and it's poorly absorbed from intact skin. So even if some uh, seeps out of the vagina into the perineal skin, it's totally okay. So all to say nystatin as a vaginal therapy uh, is super safe. It can help at 100,000 units, one or twice daily, and I do both. I give them one week of twice daily, and then one week as once daily as a step-off treatment. And there is data for that. Uh, this was published in 2014 in the journal. Here's, a, here's another good one. Mycopathology. Mycopathology. All right. That was by Fan et al. So there is data for it. And in all disclosure, again, there's not a whopping amount of data for vaginal nystatin. But if you take a look at most of the, you know, complementary and alternative uh, journals, yeah, they're like, it, it does work. The problem is they're uh, anecdotal or they're small cohorts. There's not a lot of RCTs on this, um, but but it's totally okay to, to try this. So vaginal nystatin, 100,000 units, one or twice a day for two weeks. See, it all goes back to our adage, right? Can it help? Yeah. Can it hurt? No, probably not at all. So that's why I'm all for vaginal nystatin. That brings us to our second medication, which historically was given IV and it was a big name, like, oh my gosh, it's toxicity. But vaginally is safe and it's okay to use. That's amphotericin B. Okay, now before you go, I'm not giving my patient amphotericin B in the vagina. Well, my response is, why not? There's evidence for that. I mean, the most recent evidence was September 2023. So just two months ago in the Journal Archives of Dermatolog Dermatological Research, right? That was by Sheik et al. And yeah, and it actually did work. The title of this was, quote, liquid-based amphotericin B gel treatment eradicates vulvovaginal candidiasis in patients who failed azole therapy, end quote. Well, that kind of says it all right there, right? Again, I hate it when researchers or authors have put the whole result in the article title. Why would you do that? Make them read your article. 
But, you know, like I'd say, like, you know, amphotericin B liquid gel, does it work? And then make them read it. But anyway, so she could all did publish this again September 2023. And the, but the trick is, again, they do you have to get this compounded? And they made an amphotericin gel that was 0.1%. Okay. They, it was, again, lipid based. Did I say liquid before? I didn't mean liquid based. I mean it's lipid based. <laughs> um, well, actually, it's both. It's a lipid liquid based gel. Uh, so there you go. As these authors stated, quote, the patients treated with this amphotericin B gel who had previously failed azole therapy had a 75% clinical response and an 83% remission rate. And they go on to say, overall, this treatment option was found to be effective and safe for the treatment of VVC. End quote. This was out of India. So again, look, guys, we got to do something. And if they've tried everything, they're at wit's end and you can't get Gen Violet and they've tried vaginal probiotics. We've covered vaginal lystatin and this amphotericin B gel at 0.1%. You just got to find a good compounding pharmacy and make sure that that uh, as much as possible that those concentrations uh, are reproducible. Now, as novel as that sounds, because this was just September 2023, you know I'm not going to give you all something that just came out two months ago, right? I mean, I'm always about letting you know what's new in the data, but in this case, this is nothing new at all. And I've said that in many episodes before, right? Nothing is new under the sun. It's the same thing here because amphotericin B for recurrent vaginal infections for these non-albicant species was also published in the American Journal of OBGYN, the Gray Journal like over 15 years ago. That was in 2005. This was, again, a very, you know, a small cohort. It was 32 patients that had non-Candida albicans uh, uh, species in their vagina who were symptomatic who were given uh, this treatment option of amphotericin B, not as a gel, but as a 50 milligram vaginal suppository. Again, it's for 14 days, all right? So if you're doing weekly treatments, you can do like six months. If you're doing daily treatments for these things, notice it's 14 days. You see the difference here? So remember that the fluconazole was after the uh, initiation or induction therapy, then it's once uh, per week per six months. But for both amphob and nystatin, it's 14 days uh, because you're really trying to just quickly kind of nuke the vaginal microbiome and then let it reset. All right. So this a publication from AJOG in 2005, as you would guess, yeah, it, it, it worked. Now, it's very small numbers, but the results were this, this is actually a treatment option for patients who have nothing else. So that brings us now to our third options. We've got a nystatin, amphob, and then the third option is what ACOG did reference in that single paragraph in the practice bulletin that I talked about a little while ago that talked about boric acid. And I said, you can try medication X. Well, medication X is one that people kind of forgot about because it's kind of weird. Um, it's a flucytosine cream. Okay. So if you're like, if it's what? Well, it's, you may have heard it as 5FC, not 5FU. Those are related, but this is 5FC. So it's flucytosine, as in cytosine itself. So flucytosine cream, anywhere from 15 to 17%, or 5 grams, either used by itself or in combination with amphotericin B, uh, actually does work when used for 14 days. All right, guys, so now that we're coming to the end, let's just briefly recap. We're talking about nystatin, amphob, uh, which can be used by itself, 
or you could do flucytosine, 15 to 17%, either alone or with amphotericin B to really knock out that yeast. So if you're going to use these, I would recommend using them together. Or you could use flu, uh, flucytosine one day and then amphotericin B the next. Uh, but remember that it's still for 14 days. And again, flucytosine, if you're like, I've never heard of this thing. Well, it is in the ACOG Practice Bulletin 215 from 2020 that we mentioned previously. Um, and that's pretty much all they say. Yeah, you can use like 15 to 17% alone or in combination with amphotericin B at 3% cream daily for 14 days. But again, it has to be compounded, Okay. Now, this thing of flucytosine is is super weird because it's definitely not new. It was first uh, known as an antifungal in the 70s, like, yeah, 1970, 70s, all right? It's been around for a long time, but it just doesn't get a lot of love because it's kind of hard to find and it has to be compounded, but... Uh, it, it is a real thing. This is the fluorinated analog of cytosine. Y'all get that? The fluorinated, hence the flu cytosine. It's the fluorinated analog of cytosine. And in and of itself, totally not antifungal. Did y'all get that? Is that weird or what? So fluorinated analog of cytosine is not antifungal. It has to be processed, so it gets taken up into, into the uh, fungal cell. So the fungal cell imports it, and it does that with an energy-dependent process. So it's like, oh, there's uh, 5-FC. Let me take some of that in because that looks delicious. So it eats it, and then through its own processes and enzymes, this joker get it, gets converted to its active form, which is 5-fluorouracil. How about that, right? Y'all know 5-FU. I mean, 5-FU, that's not a stranger to gynecology. So 5-FC gets pumped in to the, to the fungal cell, and it's like the Trojan horse, right? Once it's in there, it's like, ha-ha, and then bam, bam, bam. It starts hitting uh, um, some of the uh, RNA processes, and it inhibits protein synthesis. Ah, kind of cool, right? So we've talked about nystatin, we've talked about amphob, and now it's flucytosine, which is the fluorinated analog of cytosine that once it gets pumped into the fungal cell, metabolized, metabolized, enzyme, enzyme, gets converted to 5-FU, and by that time, uh, the little fun, fun, fungi cell says, oh shit, uh, I'm dying. Oh, sorry guys, sorry, I got carried away there. If you're listening to this with family members, do not say that word. Oh, thank you. Oh man, um, guys, let me tell you something. Guys, because we're we're on the last part, like the last. I have like what my on my outline it says close now. <laughs> so so I'm at the close now. All right, um, but let me just tell you how dedicated this team is because I'm doing this um, in my little recording studio. And I have a home recording studio in addition to our our, our regular recording studio, which is at the Health Science Center. Um, but I already told um, Mike, or the guy who helps me with this, our audio guy, or engineer, I'm like, look, I'm going to send this to you late, probably like around 10 p.m. And for point of reference, we're doing this on November the 2nd. It's Thursday. And he's like, yeah, great. Shoot it up. I'm going to be working late anyway. Guys, he's going to package this up probably around 10 or 11 p.m. Central so I can try to knock this out. Uh, I mean, isn't that great? Now, please don't send me ugly messages. Yeah, I'm abusing my people who help me. No, no, no. They, they like to do this. This is his jam. He's okay with it. Um, and I'm not like forcing him to do it. I'm like, you can do it tomorrow. He's like, no, man, I want to get this done. Um, that's, you see that? This is why, how we encourage each other. He's like, if it's important to you, it's important to me. 
Anyway, I'm surrounded by great folks. All right, so now let's quote. Let, let's quote. Oh, my God. It is time to close. Not to quote. Let's, let's get ready to close. So here it is. There is an app. Yeah, there's an app. There's an app that you can use uh, to try to help you guide uh, treatment, and you can walk the patient through a few things. Look, I have the ASCCP app on my phone, right? Totally not what we're talking about here because that's for pap smears. But I show the patient. I'm like, look, let's put in things together, okay? Put in your age. Okay, then put in put your, what's your pap smear? Oh, it was um, uh, L-cell. Okay, L-cell. And then, uh, you know, um, previous abnormals. Right? And we do it together. And I look at, oh, here's the recommendation. Here's why I, I said X, Y, or Z. And, and so it validates what I'm telling them, all right? And it gives them ownership because they're involved in the decision-making tree. Well, same thing for this. In cases of recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis, there is an app. There's an app from the International Society for Vulvovaginal Disease. That's ISSVD. I told you, like, there's a journal for everything. There's literally an app for everything, and there's a society for everything. So the Society of Vulvovaginal Disease, ISSVD, does actually have some super helpful uh, guides. It's very interactive. Now, it's not free. Uh, you do have to pay for it. I think it's like under five bucks. I have it on my phone as well. And no, I have no financial ties to that. All right. If I guys trust me, if I ever plug something and I'm I, and I get gibbies for it, I'm gonna tell you. Okay. Uh, like I think once we did a an an ad for uh the the thing where you kind of put in your vaginal deliveries and you track your outcomes. I forgot the name of that. Anyway, super cool little dashboard. I actually played with it for a long time, uh, and and was using it. And uh, actually, I still think it's on my laptop. Anyway, uh, but if I tell you, I, um, you know, I, I have a financial tie to this that or a proprietary info, I'll, I'll tell you. But I don't have anything for this app, nor did I for that vaginal tracking delivery thing. Uh, somebody asked me to do it. I thought it was kind of cool, so I helped them with their business. All right. Are we done now? I think we're done. So we talked about nice dad and info B. We talked about... Um, flucytosine, which is 5-F-C, uh, which is 5-F-U's, uh, I guess it would be like a, a, a pro-drug, right? All right, guys. Anyway, I hope that you thought this was helpful. Let me know your thoughts. Thank you so much for reaching out with all of your kind messages, guys, in this crazy world where there's so much uh, darkness, sadness, and worry. Can we just support each other and encourage each other and um, just be there for uh, for one another. Anyway, thanks everybody. Let's wrap this up. All right, podcast family, we are done. We've covered that darn persistent yeast. At first I'd title this that darn yeast that won't go away. Um, but I think that's too long. Anyway, as always, podcast family, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.